Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Eve. How's it going? It's going. Are I... you uh, observing 420? I always am. <laughs> um, but I am especially this morning, yes. Very good. Uh, Very good. Yes, that was the first thing I did this morning. Um, yeah, Congrats. I won. I won my election that I was running unopposed in, so that's wow. exciting. You, are you also like the top of your class in high school? <laughs> I was because I was the only person in my class. Yeah, that's my yeah, favorite yeah. favorite joke. It's my favorite joke. I just used it in a piece I wrote. I am. Um, I'm trying to find a home for it, but I wrote this whole thing about how I scammed my parents into letting me go to college. That was which, hilarious. Yeah. It was um, great. And, yeah, that was my, 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 one of my punchlines was yeah. top of my class. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you were the, you, your, your, your uh, voting turnout rates are, like, looking really good right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It was, you know, it was actually really fun because I did get my entire arbitration and grievances class to vote during class by emailing all of them the voting link and the link to my slate. That's cute. It was good. So I know I got some real votes for sure. It wasn't completely just default, but it was basically default. So It was basically (laughs) default. I mean, as it should be with you. I guess so. Yeah. You deserve that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wish that like seven people had run instead of four, so we would at least have a full Senate. But you know, mm, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Well, I um I went to the the Earth Day Farmers Market down in um, Grandin Village, which is you know um like a sub mini downtown in a like a suburb of of Roanoke City proper. Um, and I took Blanche, and there were so many dogs. And she, like, oh. I'm going to, my arms are going to be so strong by the end of the summer because she was like, new friend, new friend, new friend, new oh. friend. Just pulling and pulling. And <laughs> it was, you know, all I could do to, like, not spill my coffee all over myself right. and her and everyone around <laughs> us. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty good. That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah, having good weather makes everything a lot nicer. Yes, this is true. Um, so did you see that the 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 news has been basically listening to our podcast? Yeah, that's been wild. I mean, they're not paying <laughs> us like they're listening to our podcast, so like that kind of sucks, but yeah, this whole thing about impeachment coming up right after we talked about it is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I saw this morning that uh, AOC signed on to oh, it because obviously um yeah i mostly like sort of came to this morning and and read some stories about it because this week has been chaos i was like oh wow yeah yep yep <laughs> oh and, I, and i'll just i'll just say for our, our male listeners here if you're not um taking elizabeth warren seriously and following her and like seeing what she's putting out in terms of policy proposals um you might be a little bit of a misogynist because she's like currently the most substantial candidate out there in terms of like actual ideas and plans and initiative yeah as much as i love that uh 
what's his face from Indiana is a Hufflepuff and gay. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I like I like other candidates for other reasons, but like in terms of like massive mass substance, she's really really coming through. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely leaning towards Warren right now. Yeah. She seems to know her shit, and yeah. it's not a cop like Kamala. But she she should listen to our our, our podcast and understand why um, actual impeachment is kind of scary and maybe shouldn't happen. Yes. Yes. Like, Elizabeth Warren, please go listen to the last episode. Please do not screw over all of the trans people and women and queers in the country. I mean, Thank or at you. least do it like with like two months left of his yeah. term or something. Yeah, like, do it. Just do like it do it it's... like at the very end. Just don't give Pence any time to actually, you know, have power. Two things. Yeah. Yeah. Please avoid, please avoid giving us Pence. Thanks. That stresses me out. Yeah, that is the last thing I need in my life right now, honestly. Yeah, I'm just. It's it's interesting watching so many people be like super excited about it because I we all know that like that's a long and arduous process and like the way the you know possession of the House and the the Senate is split up like it's it's pretty unlikely that it would go through, Mm -hmm. but but. Yeah, it's just to me, it just demonstrates like a like being well-intentioned, but having a fundamental lack of understanding of everything else at play. Well, it's it, yeah, it's well-intentioned, but not understanding the stakes like this is like yeah. you think you're playing poker with M&Ms, but like actually we're yeah. playing like buy in as a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's just like, uh, like, I get it. I get it. But no, that's no, please don't. Please don't. Okay. Anyway, um, other news. Uh, I tweeted about this a little last night, and um, first of all, I just have to say, like, uh, Sarah Palm Bailey, who is a a reporter, religion reporter for the Washington Post, should be deeply ashamed of herself and, like, really, really, like, I can't take her seriously as a professional um, because she blew some um, privacy um, I guess boundaries and tweeted out to the entire world that um, Rachel Held Evans has been in the hospital with a coma. And um, she did delete her tweet. She did apologize. Not really. I don't think she really understands like the, the significance of what she did. Yeah. But, no. um, but Dan, Rachel's husband, has you know, posted on the the blog and posted on her Twitter. So now it's like public and the family has like made their statement. Um, she had a bad reaction to, to some antibiotics for an infection. And mm. so they, they put her in a medically induced coma to try to like keep a lid on things. So, um, you know, science is great and probably she'll be fine, but it's scary. And, um, you know, I've talked a lot in the past about like how much I am disappointed in how she handled the the Tony Jones situation and how much I dislike Nadia Boltzweber for the same thing. Um, but Rachel really did have a significant impact in my um, my journey as a writer and my journey as a someone who was um, felt qualified to engage and call out the church. And so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate her her legacy on that. And so. Um, if you are the praying type, do be praying for her and her family. She was one of the first people that I, she and Elizabeth Esther were some of the first people that I ran into 
yeah. when I was leaving the faith and dealing with Christianity and trying to figure out where I was in all of it. Yeah. And they were critical in a really, really good and healthy way that I needed at the time. Yeah. Yeah. They And they made it like one of the things that because women like them and their, their ability to, to straddle that line of like, I am your, your model <laughs> um, housebroken woman and also I'm a feminist and here's yeah. some ideas that are challenging to your 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 mindset um, they were able to help people around me understand better what I was going through when yes. I got divorced and why I was struggling with so many things about church and how I was being treated by my father and my ex-husband um, so they really did like do a lot of that that work to to bridge the gap so that people could be more empathetic to me when I yeah. was going through that. That that means a lot. Yeah, it's huge. Like I appreciate <laughs> the work that they've done. Like even yeah. though I I disagree with a bunch of things now, like they were so instrumental in my ability to process and get out, and yeah. I will always appreciate both of them for that. And I will say, like for the record, like. You know, Rachel Holland Evans, like, kind of stopped pursuing, um, you know, the same ideas that you and I have been chasing down. I think that the main difference is, like, like she's in a, a stable heterosexual marriage, mm-hmm. and she has not lost her family, and her family is still pretty fundamentalist um, in a lot of ways. And so, like, there's a more for her to lose if she was to keep going down that, that yeah. path. Um, so she, she – I was – you know, I see influences of like not having examined capitalism or imperialism and not being super aware of race stuff mm-hmm. um, in the church. Yeah. You know, so there's 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 blind spots and it's understandable. But I will say for Elizabeth Esther, like that woman, as much as she is like one of my favorite hot messes on the internet, be, um, and is super transparent about um, her mood swings and her bipolar and like what she's struggles with with her mental health stuff like she really does like aggressively hunt down um being on the side of justice and kindness yeah every single fucking time yeah and she you know what she doesn't know she will research and what she doesn't understand she will like back up apologize for and fix and it's really nice to see yeah anyway that's my my two cents on you know people who helped me out in the past yeah it's scary. And I think it's scary to see also oh, there are some people who are just like so aggressively negative to RHE, mm-hmm. like on the, the Pray For Her thread, mm. um, like about the Zatoni Jones thing, which is like, okay, I get it. But like, come on, lay that aside. Like she's a person. Yeah. And then, and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> some people from the other side who are like, she likes gay people. Don't pray for her. <laughs> and I'm like, of course, <laughs> of course. Cool, cool, yeah. cool, 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 yeah, cool. That's fine. Anyway, what are we talking about today besides all of these these silly things that I've just been you know babbling on about? Uh, well, we have a couple really good questions, oh, and yeah. uh, also I think we might talk about masturbation finally because we keep saying we're gonna talk about it and we keep not talking about it okay you should just like launch into the story right, yeah i'm just gonna your questions i'm just gonna do the story because all this right is, do the story all right so we gotta we, we hang on we, we, we have to remind people about code switching first 
Yes. Okay, so you you guys really have to understand, like, in fundamentalism, in evangelicalism, I would say it's equal parts in both those mm-hmm. communities. The Venn diagram is pretty close to a circle, but not quite. Um, but within both those communities, the the coded language of being oblique about specific things that are either distasteful or mature topics um, is it's just it's rampant so like god you know they're like it's think of all of the like doofus level euphemisms for a period that and then just mm-hmm. like transfer that to everything, everything. in life yeah. yeah so that's what we're operating with here yeah yeah so setting the stage it's <laughs> 2007 and I'm at Team Pack National Convention for the second year. I and just graduated high school. This is uh Team Pact is an organization that Tim Eccles founded in 1993 that is basically to teach Christian homeschoolers, mostly Christian homeschooled men, but eventually they opened it up to girls as well. As um, long as they were wearing grandma sweaters. As long as, right. As long as there's modesty. As long as their tits are not v- visible or noticeable. As long as it doesn't seem like they have a body. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just Look have like to pretend you're that fine. you're not like in a corporeal form. Because the boys <laughs> might stumble. And like if a boy knows that a girl has limbs, like I don't know what happens because they never told me. But something does. And I think there's a baby at the end of it. Oh, yeah, oh, it leads to dancing. That's what happens. That's what it is. Dancing. Yeah. yeah. So dancing if you have happens. limbs, dancing happens. Okay. Um, All right. Cool. Yeah. So cool. Cool. this is the same year that Tim Eccles also gave a speech. And, and it might have even been part of the same speech. I don't remember. Um, about how being uh, an effeminate man is terrible and sinful and an abomination and will like get you sent to hell even if you're not (laughs) gay because you're pretending to be gay and that's just bad and terrible right and team team pact and and we kind of got sidetracked but like what they do is they basically teach homeschool christian teens not actually only homeschool christian teens but mostly mostly yeah but christian teens how to lobby right they teach them basic civics and with the goal of like teaching them to basically be like aggressive pro-life activists Um, this is what i mean when i say like i learned like i laid the foundation for the tea party and i grew up learning how to do all of those things because i went to team pact and i walked around the capitol and i met my legislators and i talked with them and i lobbied for reforms that i wanted and they do this thing where you go around the capitol all the girls have to wear skirts they're not allowed to wear pants and they have to be like they have to be like a full hand is it is it a full hand below the knee cap uh, I think it's even more than that. Like, really? I think okay. I think I below thought... the knee is like liberal. Everyone mostly wears ankle length. Okay, because like the ones length. in Richmond that I saw was like, like it was they would often do like just like t oh, yeah. t length. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I think they did like eventually loosen up, but it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, okay. Modesty so two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Yeah. What did you do? All right, so we're we're at this camp which is like the annual camp where team pactors from all over the country come and hang out for a week 
And there's lessons in workshops, and one of these days, Tim Eccles is speaking, and he's speaking about sin, as he's wont to do, and he talks about, uh, like, being pure, and keeping your heart pure, and preparing for marriage. I think this was the same speech. Mm -hmm. Uh, And after the, around the homophobic part, either before or after, I don't remember, we start (laughs) talking about... um, these secret worlds and these secret lives that people live. And he goes on about how, like, you know, there are, there are boys these days who are, like, watching porn and people who are living, like, these secret lives that their parents don't know about and watching things and listening to things their parents don't know about and reading books that their parents don't know about that might have bad things in them. Mm. And he... You know, and probably what he really meant was thinking gay thoughts and right. being interested in things related to gay culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or literally anything that, like, isn't sanctioned by anyone's parents. Um, which is a lot of which things. Which is a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. So, so he Did you asks, know, I, like, I, ha- I know someone who, like, once got told by her parents that she w- had demons because she was wanted to be vegan. Like, a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was told that I had demons because I was overtired one day. Um, yeah, yeah so, that'll you know, do it. There's, there's a bunch. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> so, what was your secret sin? Karen? Yeah. So it wasn't. It was. He was asking. He was like, "All right." So I want to ask because, like, we're a, a group of of good, upright young Christians. Uh, if anyone has any like secret worlds that they live in, and and like most of people's hands went up and he was like aghast and disappointed and he was spending all this time not talking about sex but talking about sex and not talking about being gay but talking about being gay uh-huh. and and so literally everyone in that room thought at least after like you know I went and talked to people as an adult uh that he was talking about masturbating and he was talking about whether or not or and like was asking whether or not people like masturbated because that was a secret world because it's something that you made up in your head and you did and no one knew about Karen, and Karen, it was don't sinful you know? because it was lustful yeah but josh harris said that if you aren't thinking about anything um and so you're not actively participating in lust in your mind it's not a sin yeah but he was too much specific <laughs> about it but is that possible probably not probably not yeah, actually, so. <laughs> I think it is possible. Just, but yeah, that's yeah. a whole other story. <laughs> it totally is. It's just less fun. Like God. I've done it both ways. Yep. Boop. Yep. 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 So you know, but yeah, and and so so there's all this like language and apprehension that is is talking it can literally be anything but everyone is assuming it's talking about masturbation so like right so maybe he didn't even hands. know that everybody in the room assumed it was yeah about masturbation, i don't even but know that all he the knew teens that. are like we're oh. randy as fuck yeah yeah <laughs> everyone was just like oh i'm such and we all felt terrible about ourselves after that and like i asked like because my my ex and i were at the same camp and like years later i asked like what it was that they raised their hand about and it was also masturbation i was like me too and we're like all right cool so we're both like impure Uh, sinners it's fine (laughs) so i around that same time it's probably like the year before my church had like a week-long um like men's conference like a men's church where they were like going to talk about like confronting your secret sins 
Um, So it was basically going to be, like, about watching porn and how that was bad. Yep. But I, you know, I knew that, but I still read into it that they were going to be talking about masturbating. And I was like, it's not fair. I really would love, like, this is the sermon I need to hear. Mm Because I thought at that point that I was a a masturbation addict. Like, I seriously, (laughs) like, just because I was like a normal Randy teenager. Like, I thought that I had an addiction and I was deeply, deeply ashamed of it. And so I remember, like, looking at the flyers for this thing and being, like, trying to think up, like, a reason to, like, have to be in the church building that day. Like, Mm. I was like, can I, like, you know, volunteer in the kitchen or something? Like, I just wanted to overhear the sermon because I I just thought that that would be the thing that would help me, you know, fix this, which clearly not the case. (laughs) Um, I do think, actually, what I did end up doing – now that I, I completely forgot about this, I I ended up um, downloading some of the sermons from like the Sovereign Grace Ministries like at large website mm-hmm. about that topic and like listening to them and being like, well, this doesn't help me. It's super not specific. Yeah, yeah. Because again, the like the vagueness and the code switching, like yeah, it's just you like you can't you can't actually say the thing that you're talking about because no, then people and, would think about the sex and and the, all of the advice basically boils down to like dissociate yourself as much as you possibly can and if you can't do that stay as busy as you possibly can and like give everyone in your whole life access to everything so that they can hold you accountable yeah which i was already living in a functional surveillance state and still getting away with this so i was like well Well. that's not gonna work (laughs) like i'm not giving them more power yeah exactly (laughs) i just gotta get this under control on my own and actually i did like i i um you know, I the way I would have phrased it then is that I, I went cold turkey on like the like the next two and a half years, three years. It was like three years of my life that I just like did nothing. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. And I remember like when I started dating someone and started getting, you know, brandy again, was like, Oh shit, I'm like <laughs> backsliding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I felt really guilty about it for a very long time until I started educating myself about mm-hmm. like sex and bodies and stuff and until I started reading Scarletine because one of the one of the articles Scarletine had was like, is masturbation like normal? Mm-hmm. And turns out, yes, it is actually. So the the one <laughs> the one good thing, um, you know, all of that that I just described, like, was pretty self-imposed. It, um, it was, it came from reading yep. Josh Harris's book, um, which at that point was called Not Even a Hint. I think they republished it under something about, like, but basically his his book about sexual purity and lust. Um, oh, yeah. Some stuff from El- Elizabeth Elliot. Um, yep. Some stuff from, like, what is it like young man's secret battle or whatever those books are yeah um so there were, there was like a series of like these books addressing lust and desire in this like super negative light and i remember you know reading them and like really taking it seriously because i felt so guilty all the time mm-hmm. now the thing is my mom knew like she walked in on me or something at one point and she never told me that it was a sin. We had a conversation about it, and she was like, so the Bible doesn't address this for women. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, clearly, like, 
referring to Onan's seed, which is like not masturbating. That's a whole different thing. Pulling out is (laughs) not the same thing at all. Um, But she's like, it's all that to anyone. Right. God doesn't really address this. And like, it was kind of implied that like women aren't supposed to have this problem. Right. And I didn't expect to have to parent you through this, but God doesn't say anything about it. So, yeah. And it was kind of like left with like, just be careful. <laughs> yeah. Girls aren't supposed to have a libido at all, which no. yeah is like, I didn't even realize that's what it was for a very long time, but I still felt bad about it. Cause I was like, why I shouldn't be having these things. Only boys <laughs> have these things. I don't. And I just have to like pause real fast here and say, I, I knew a lot of people. I've known a lot of people who women in particular who like, didn't really feel like they had, you know, high libidos, didn't feel like they were, like, particularly sex-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the idea of a sex drive is fundamentally, like, a false idea. But, um, but, but, you know, whatever. They didn't feel like they were particularly motivated to, you know, seek out sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then they got with women. <laughs> and then they're like, yes. oh, shit, I get it now. Yep. So yep. there was, like, a lot of this, like, super repressed yes. lesbian desire that just, like, never got recognized. And suddenly, now that they're, like, taking themselves seriously, it's, like, coming out. And they're just like, yeah. oh. Oh, yes. yeah, I actually am a very sexual being. Hello. Yes, yeah, so much, so much made sense after I had girl sex for the first time. And then I was like, oh, so you can't? Okay. <laughs> you want to finish that sentence? <laughs> it's like, oh, there is there is feelings that are, there's a lot that you can do, turns out. Mm-hmm. Then I was mm-hmm. like, ah. Mm-hmm. It was it was good. Yeah. So I guess I guess my, my prescription here is uh, if you are someone who thinks that you are not particularly into sex, you might be asexual. That's a thing. That's definitely a thing. But uh, at least consider the, the possibility that you might be gay first. Yeah. Try gay sex. Try gay sex. Try gay Make sex. sure you like, yeah, you know, tap it before you knock it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> did your parents like know that you were masturbating? Did they say anything to you? I mean, they, they never to... said anything to me. Okay. Yeah, my like it was all also fed just from like reading books on being pure. And my parents, my parents never talked about masturbation specifically, but they did talk a lot about purity. Mm. And like my dad did this thing where like they were very set on virginity, of course. So. He had this, like, cup of water, and he was like, this is you. And then he put, like, a drop of milk in it, and it turned all really gross and murky and stuff. And he was like, this is you if you, like, have sex with a lot of people, with other people before you get married. And, like, I don't remember exactly what the spiel was, but I remember the implication being that, like, as soon as anybody does anything to me, I go from being, like, a nice glass of water to some gross milky murky bullshit (laughs) so disgusting yeah it was so gross it was so is that like supposed to be semen in your body i don't think that's what he meant it to be (laughs) 
but but, but like that works now like that that worked after i learned how sex worked and like what sperm God. was uh but i don't think that's what the intention was i think like we just had milk because we had like infants Whoa. so yeah it was really gross and like in all of the churches that i went to always also talked about this in terms of like uh women are like shiny sports cars and the more like people who drive them or whatever they get beat up right well i mean it's like the, the, the whole like chewed up water yeah, gum yeah, and yeah, the, exactly. the tube of toothpaste yeah. and putting the toothpaste I feel back like, in and i feel like my dad's milky drop of water was like that's original took the cake on all of that shit <laughs> that's really an original yeah, it was one. that that was unique Lots of technical difficulties between that last recorded segment and this. Um, so glad you weren't there for that. <laughs> uh, but sidebar, we decided we need to sidebar on porn for a minute. Yeah, because I think I think like the being aware of masturbation and being aware of sex for for recreation and pleasure like really ties into being aware of of porn or or you know things that that stimulate arousal right so um did you watch porn as a kid i did not um but like so my grammy had these romance novels with really slutty covers so i was not without material (laughs) and a very active imagination I was also a romance novel slut. I would go to French class at the library because we had like um, this woman from the homeschool community who was tutoring me. And I would tell my grandmother or my mom or whoever was picking me up that um, that class was ending about 30 or 40 minutes after it would actually end. Smart. And then I would go into the stacks and I would either read smutty books or uh, take them home with me to, like, sneak them in. Like, I'd, like, get, like, really thin, small ones and, like, fold them into my French dictionary or mm-hmm. something and, like, stuff it in my bag. So, that, like, if you, like, did a, a casual glance, like, lifting up my, my satchel lid, like, you'd see only... Only know, the proper the things. Normal books. Yeah. yeah, all the proper things that should be there. <laughs> but my first exposure to erotica happened before that and it's like actually kind of funny um this this woman who's now like very very conservative still and has like five or six kids um back when she was like 16 or something we all had zangas yeah she's maybe she's a little older and she posted on on zanga around christmas time about how um baby it's cold outside was like her least favorite christmas carol and i was like i've never heard of this christmas carol what is this christmas carol um, for whatever reason, I just never heard of it before. Um, so I went and I Googled baby, it's cold outside. And for, you know, as great as Google's algorithms are now, <laughs> like they really weren't refined then. Cause the first result, um, was not the song, but was a, like a short piece of erotica inspired by the song. Oh my God. And so I read the whole thing. 
And then I just kind of sat at my computer for a very long time being very horny and very confused <laughs> because I was like, how, how is this what she's talking about? <laughs> like, I didn't understand what she was talking about. But like, I was like, but also that was hot. <laughs> and so I, uh, I started like looking and I was like, well, maybe I would like romance novels. And so I like read a bunch of the library. Nice. Yeah. I never actually read the romance novels. I just observed the covers and all of my stuff was very mild. Yeah. The um, visual stuff wasn't like, didn't really do much for me, but I also kind of wasn't aware that it wasn't doing much for me yep. because it was actually doing stuff for me because I was bi and I just like assumed that I didn't have attraction to women. Yes. Um, that also. Because there was this like kind of like my baseline was so different, I didn't realize it was different. Um, but like our, one of my sisters, my mom had an art book. My mom like really does like art and she's very, um, she had an art history textbook. One of those big, huge, like, you know, thick ones that are coffee table mm-hmm. books also. Um, and so it had all, all these reproductions in it. And at one time my sister and her friend went through and they drew, um, Sharpie bikinis on all the ladies naturally because and you couldn't have tits <laughs> my mom was actually livid <laughs> like she was really oh. sad like which is like really That's amazing. cute because yeah i know she actually understood the difference but like you know if i was drawing naked ladies she would be suspicious right um but but mom was livid and i just remember being sad about that and then like then my experience with the reading of smut was like so different yeah from my visual encounters and so then when I got to college and, like, decided that I was going to figure out what porn was just to, like, know mm-hmm. what everyone was talking about. And I, like, watched a couple of videos. I was just like, well, that's gross. <laughs> like, yeah. doesn't do anything for me. And then I found lesbian porn. Yes. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I see the appeal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yep. So that was that was that moment of like real reckoning of like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of mine was like, I was just very confused about why I felt the way I did about like lips and tits. And like, I didn't get it because I didn't know that like bi- being bi existed. So I just thought something was like very wrong with me. Did you get told that like porn addiction was a normal thing? Um. Not that it was a normal thing, but like or that like it the, was like a thing. that it was possible. Yeah. And like it was something that people needed help from and like I feel like that was a huge thing they talked about at Promise Keepers for a couple of years, which is like mm-hmm. this dad conference. <laughs> it's a dad conference. And not DILFs. No, like like, like the worst, the worst kinds. suburban dads who wear, you know, Socks and chacos, yeah, and cargo pants, yeah. So, um, well, Promise Keepers, I think I'm forgetting who started it. It was affiliated with Focus on the Family, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was, but, but, um, yeah, the whole addiction, porn addiction thing, like, often got uh tossed around as like a reason marriages would end, as like, um, either a way yes. to not yeah, take seriously like, the fact that someone had cheated or like not talk about the fact that someone had cheated. Women or, weren't like right. taking care of their men or something. Right. Or um, or it was used as a, a way to avoid um, talking about someone being gay. So I remember like, you know, someone coming out in our church and like 
people were talking about their, the divorce that happened was because he had a porn addiction. But they also said that about mm. the, the about the pastor in another church who like turned out to have child pornography on his computer. So you right. know, like it's just like a catch all. It's for a catch all for everything. And I I have had friends of mine who like would get married and be like, oh my god, my husband has a porn addiction. And I always just remember being like so baffled by that. And I was like, like I don't think that's a that's a an addiction. Like, I don't yeah. know, I don't know how, like, I've, addiction is a, is something that I don't feel like I'm qualified to talk about or understand because I, I do not have an addictive personality and I don't really, um, I don't really relate to a lot of those, those narratives and those, those, like, the descriptions of what addiction feels like. So I could be wrong, but I, I get the, like, the sense that, like, yeah, there's a dopamine high and there's, like, a, an impulsive habit that happens. But I don't think it's something that like, I think it's more it's more like a result of like you're repressing like healthy normal impulses mm. and putting funneling it into a very narrow outlet and refusing to let it touch any part of your life. And when you like fragment yourself in your your relationship to your body and your relationship to desire that seriously, then of course you're gonna like routinely go to this like thing and create a little wormhole for yourself. Right. Which is, like, they set us up for that, really, mm-hmm. honestly, because we're not allowed to have bodies or feelings or understand what attraction is right. in in any remote way, because that leads to lust, and lust is sinful, and lust is, makes you emotionally impure, which is almost as bad as being sexually impure, well, or it, worse. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's part of why, like, I, I thought of myself as a, a, a masturbation addict, because I... Like, you know, what had a normal sex drive, but yep. there wasn't any, like, a f- approved outlet for it. So to have, like, any sort of uh, desire was, as a woman, was, like, coded as, like, well, there's clearly something wrong with something you. Something wrong with yeah. you, obviously, yeah. Because only, only men have desire. Right. Because, and it's, it's the women's job to meet that desire. Right, because ejaculation is a physical need, and women's orgasmic like needs are not real needs not right too bad we're not in the like victorian times when they like thought that masturbation for women was actually a physical need and like would prescribe it right they would prescribe vibrators like seriously can't we just go back to that it's been so much easier there's so much other bullshit with that though please i need (laughs) i need hysteria to be returned to its former glory No, doctor, you don't understand. I'm really horny. Please tell me that I need to jerk off. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, please, doctor, just get me off. <laughs> Three times a day. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so that's a fun. The sidebar. only good thing about that era, apparently, was that females. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clitoris has got attention. It's great. Mm-hmm. Females. I hate. I hate it when people use that females. word. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. Uh God, yeah. So, do so we want to? Uh, speaking of the worst, do we want to talk about evolution? Yes, let's do that. Okay. I feel like I feel like we've touched on masturbation enough that I'm satisfied, and we can address it more later yeah, if we need to. Did you? Did you? Did you feel? Do you feel completed? 
I feel completed. Okay, good. um so actually this is kind of interesting because like last yesterday we recorded the first half of this podcast and then i went out with some friends for um a a classmate celebration um and they were talking about how like whether or not people remembered learning how to read and then and so like those of us who had struggled to learn to read were talking about yeah we definitely remember it and everybody else is like yeah it just kind of just happened um and then someone made the comparison. They were like, yeah, I, I, I don't remember learning to read just like I don't remember learning about evolution. They are just facts. What? And I was like, "What?" I remember <laughs> learning about evolution. And they were like, how old were you? And I was like, well, I always knew about it, but like I didn't really like study it or take it seriously until like quite late. And they were like, so when was it that you like changed your mind about evolution? And I was like, I think I was married. And then yeah. they kind of all like looked at me aghast and I walked off and I was like, I need another <laughs> drink. <laughs> yeah. So basically. When did you come around to decide that evolution was real? Well, I think honestly it it went back to like when I was leaving Christianity, it just sort of fell apart as my religion fell apart. Like when mm-hmm. I started questioning whether like what the Bible said was literally real, like I had been taught, I was like, well, probably creation didn't happen in seven days. Mm-hmm. Probably evolution is the thing that makes the most sense since there's science behind it. Yeah. So that just sort of like fell because like, that's what like creation was a salvation issue for like my family mm-hmm. sort of yeah. like it was, it was part of, Part of, in like every church I went to, it was part of the, what is it? Their statement of faith? Yeah, the t- statement of faith. My yeah. parents, I didn't think, ever took it as a salvation issue. I think they, they considered it a gray area issue, but they definitely took it as like a, a indicator of how seriously you took your faith. Yeah. So if you didn't like really take your, your, your faith super seriously, then you know, that would be one of the ways you could tell along with like believing that divorce was okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So this, this question we got from our, our listener, Lydia is, is a really good one. And it's, um, she says, how or why did your views on evolution shift? And I think we just kind of covered that. And then the second half is really what I want to talk about. And she says, how does a belief in young earth creation or a belief in evolution influence how you perceive the world? And I think that's really a great question. Yes, because this has been something that has been fascinating me for the last like nine months or so as the weather has gone like it's it's ridiculous. And it's I don't I don't understand the planet right now. It's the end times, Kieran, obviously. I know. I know. It's See, like that, reading that, from that case Revelation. In point. Case in point. Yeah. That's that's how you that's how this works. Yeah, exactly. No. And like, that's the thing, too, is this whole time that like California is on fire. I'm like just for realizing that like my parents are probably watching this and being like, oh, it's the apocalypse. The tribulation is happening. Look, the world is on fire. Jesus is coming soon because mm-hmm. um, that's what I was taught. And and it's it's really interesting, like going to school with a shit HVAC system and like having the student body like refuse to come to school because we need to breathe air and having these conversations with people who like grew up obviously believing that evolution and climate change and global warming are real things Mm -hmm. and me coming into school 
having learned the opposite of that, really only beginning to understand what climate change and global warming is like over the last like 18 months of it being a thing that impacts my day to day life. Mm-hmm. Like because so much of what I was taught was just like, well, the world is very young. It's 6,000 years old. It was literally created out of nothing in seven days. It's going to be fine. God God's just, got it. God, like, God it'll will just be, snap his fingers know, and fix it. Right. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about pollution or drilling for oil or whatever. Right. There's, the melting ice caps. None of that so, you have to worry about. So the... I think it it influences a, a belief in like personal responsibility on a small level. I think that yeah. like, um, like learning growing up, like I was taught, like we don't litter, we recycle, like do this, do that, don't waste food. Like you know, we're we're practicing personal responsibility and confers- conservation on a small level. Mm-hmm. But the larger stuff, the like idea of like lobbying against big oil or boycotting companies that participate in fracking or corporations that are releasing like emissions that are incre- like increasing you know CO2 levels or whatever that sort of like corporate responsibility accountability like large scale like that stuff those actions were not really taken very seriously we would boycott things mm-hmm. that like if someone who claimed to be moral was acting immoral, like Amy Grant got divorced, so we're going to boycott her music. Right. Um, yeah. You know, Bill Clinton Important says he represents like family values and he cheated on his wife, so we're going to impeach him. You know, stuff like right. that, you know, like abdications of personal responsibility on the small scale, we would get upset about. But like in terms of like responsibility for the planet, we were told we were stewards and so we were going to do the best that we could with what we had and so like it was really easy easy to fall into this like kind of fatalistic nihilism of well yeah you know but like i can't do anything about it because i'm just you know this poor person here and so i'll just recycle yeah my parents were like environment hostile even like Mm -hmm. they never recycled they never instilled any kind of like valuing the planet or the environment on any of us at all really they're just like, I mean, it's going to burn and then we're going to be in heaven. So like their whole, they have a lot of undealt with depression and death wishes that like yeah. they just casually dumped on their children. <laughs> right. And you can see, I can see the parallel between like my mom being a nurse. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to make sure my kids eat healthy and I'm going to like, you know, ensure like balanced nutrition and like vaccines and like make sure you like live longer like that has a direct correlation into how they how she like treated her like personal environment stewardship Mm -hmm. so like it was a a, an extension of how she took care of her body and our bodies yeah um unlike your family similarly didn't like really care about nutrition or doctors or or any of vaccines or any stuff yeah um if god wants us to die from polio we'll die from polio apparently yeah no, like, even to the point, like, my dad, like, would ride his bike to work sometimes. They would have one car. Like, for a long, long, long time, we had only one car, and my dad would bike to work often. Um, and I don't know if that's just, like, because they're from the East Bay, and, like, that was what they understood as normal, but or if it was money, or if it was him trying to, like, find time to work out and doing it that way, or if he was, like, trying mm-hmm. to be environmentally conscious. And, like, I think that it might have been some combination of all of the above. I think he might have, like, been trying to 
pollute less. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But like when you come comes down to things like how you see politics and how you see larger issues, like this, like there's this abdication of like, yeah, well, it's all going to burn anyway soon. So like, who cares? Right. Yeah. I would have people like other things that would happen, like the the way um, people would in- encounter nature in my community would often take like the tone of the the romantics, like the the poets. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about like the school of <laughs> the school of poets who were the romantics in England, um, which would be like uh, Keats and Shelley and Wordsworth, and like um, they would take this like very like wow nature like reflects like how small I am in God's glory. They would, right. um, you know, even if they these poets may or may not have like believed in God. Like, the people who did would would take that same kind of pitch for how they saw nature and, like, mm-hmm. really, you know, transport it up. And so, again, like, with the transcendentalists here in America, it was, like, a lot of that same school of thought, like, showing up where it'd be, like, how could you see the stars in the sky and not believe in God? How could you see right. the sunrise and not believe in God? How could you see, like, and it's, like, yeah, yeah. Beauty, beauty, beauty is is not dependent on higher being beauty can right. just exist it can be neutral it can it can just be like yeah it's fine which i mean kind of like draws me back to like you know the concept of like a beautiful woman going to waste is a very patriarchal concept and i think there's there's something to be said for tying these things together where it's like yeah like a beautiful sunset's going to go to waste in your mind if you can't assign it to god and a beautiful woman is going to go to waste if she doesn't belong to some man Cool. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you see big differences? I know I know you didn't really have a lot of friends outside of the homeschool community, but did you if you had any friends who believed in evolution, did you see like a lot of differences between how they like approach life and interacting with nature in the world? Yeah, they like had a value for it. Uh, like, apart from, you know, my parents would be like, well, they're probably not Christian because like at churches, all of the kids who went to public school believed in evolution because like they went to public school and they were tended to be more environmentally conscious. And my parents would always like make fun of those people. Like, that's so ridiculous. They recycle. Ha, isn't that funny? Like, I don't, I don't know why they thought that was funny. Do they make fun um, of, like, tree huggers and Priuses? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, Yeah, everything, everything that Rush Limbaugh, like, made fun of about mm-hmm. conserving the environment, they also did. Um, yeah, but, like, that was the thing that I noticed, was that people did care more about the environment if they believed that it evolved over millions and millions of years and all of that. Uh, and that's something that makes more sense to me now mm-hmm. that I have stopped believing in creationism where it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is just a bunch of accidents that happened and we're fucked. Mm-hmm. And now I kind of understand that more. It's it's an odd shift because now it like it does feel like it's our collective human responsibility yeah. instead of some like asshole in the sky's responsibility. It's like, oh no, we we did this and I I really kind of it's frustrating because 
you know, people have been talking about this since like I was a child since before. <laughs> do you, since the do you 80s. feel like, like you're coming to the conversation late and you miss the good stuff? I, yeah, I know. And I'm like, God damn it. It's yeah. so frustrating. And, and it's like, there's nothing that I, there's nothing that I can do at this point that is like I myself, obviously that like is going to be able to reverse climate change considering like the right wing has been able to impede this progress for the last 30 some years that people have been trying to save it. Like if our parents when they were our age had like put all of the energy that they spent into homeschooling and raising all their kids into fighting big corporations, we would still be where we are today because yeah. our parents are not rich enough to have that kind of influence. Right. Yeah. So it's just sort of, it's sort of frustrating. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm understanding the impacts now mm -hmm. and I'm just really angry because it's, it's too late. Yeah. It really sucks. And I'm like, God damn it. Just... <sighs> yeah. So I'm dealing with a lot of that anger right yeah. now. It's like, fuck. Yeah. I th yeah. I think that's, that's uh, very relatable for a lot of us. I think that that's a, a common thing sentiment as I talk to people like us who grew up like in the same community there's this like I mean I, I dated someone who had a lot of anxiety and it's one of the perversions of um, their anxiety was that like instead of being anxious about like the things going on in their life that they should have been anxious about it was it would de it diverted into an obsession over climate change and, like, uh, this is someone who grew up, like, sort of not really, like, super fundamentalist, but, like, fairly conservative mm -hmm. and fairly, like, sold on the young earth creationism stuff um, as a child. And then, like, eventually in college came back around and was just like, oh, fuck, and, like, can't drop it. And so, like... You'd be like, so how'd you sleep last night? And they'd be like, well, I just had a nightmare about the end of the world because of climate uh -huh. change. And it was like, it was like, it was like all of our like, um, rapture and Y2K terrors, night terrors yeah. turned into like climate change night terrors. Fuck. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does suck. That's terrible. It's, and it's understandably stressful. Um, that also ties to like the coming in late to the conversation sentiment of like, oh man, like I missed so much. I have to really catch up. And like you and I and people like us like often feel really driven to like do a lot of work to like make, make up, up for, for lost it. time. Yeah. And yep. so like this person would be like just buying books on climate change and reading more about it and getting like more and more and more de deep into this thing that made them anxious. <laughs> and I was like, this yeah. is really not the best mm. use of your time this is not really going mm. anywhere okay yeah cool. whatever you do you but also ooh. take care of yourself please <laughs> you don't have to watch the train crash into the mountain no but it's so you much, can look away so much fun to only watch the train crash into the mountain. i know i know it's terrible like I know. This is why, like, I just continually watch in horror at Twitter. Yeah. But yeah, but I don't need to. You should have a life outside of Twitter. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's a whole sidebar on that. But uh, yeah, if you are feeling any of those things, do definitely take a break. Walk around the block. Read something fun. Do something light. Create something that's like personally gratifying and like invest in your immediate community and like. You know, you can do stuff like calling your, your congressman and calling your senators and like 
trying to help counter the lobby effect lobby effect of big oil and all you know big coal and all that but like really do like be aware that like life is short and we we don't have a great future with the climate change so enjoy it yeah don't obsess over it and if you want to get involved i'm sure there's local organizations that are working on initiatives to like yeah, for that sure. are accessible to your town that you can jump into. Yeah, so much more interesting to like actually like have like concrete tasks to do rather than just yeah. like obsessing over something. Yes, get involved in someone who's doing the work because someone is already doing the work. You just have to find it. Yep, go ask them how they how you can help and let them yeah. boss you around. Yeah. Um, okay, sec. Our next question um, is from Ozma. Do you want to read this one? Yes. Can I just like nerd um, out for a second though? Do you know who Ozma yeah, is? Yeah, do it. No. Uh, you didn't grow up reading the Wizard of Oz books? No, Frank there was Baum? magic in it. Oh, okay. So my mom, for whatever <laughs> reason, had one of the Frank Albaum books. Like we didn't watch, um, what's that movie? Wizard of Oz? Yeah, we didn't watch Wizard of Oz. Yes, clearly, homeschool. Um, <laughs> We didn't watch yeah, that yeah, movie that I, I don't remember the name of that everybody knows um, until I was in high school and it was like assigned as like an elective for a lit class, like as a like worldview contrast, compare and contrast thing. Mm. Um, so it was for academic purposes. And so then it was like, okay, fine, we'll watch this. We got it from the library. But like, yeah, it was very much not okay. But I did have this book further in the series that was one of them and it was the last princess of oz and ozma is this like beautiful fairy creature um in the story and so like i just delight that this person has named themselves ozma that is awesome and now i need to go read it and maybe eventually watch the wizard of oz i've seen like clips i really of the yellow like, brick road and like that's it i mean <laughs> the movie like is it's iconic like watch it understand it be familiar with it but like it's not like that great like yeah it is going to feel like a lot of cultural references are colliding in like making sense yeah um which is how it felt for me it was like watching it was like watching a puzzle put itself back together in like slow motion you know this is why i watched the shining and 2001 and all those films have you ever seen those time lapse videos of like someone building something and they do it like backwards so it looks like they're dismantling it yes um, it was like that, like, it was like watching the Wizard of Oz was like, oh my God, now I can see oh. all the pieces going together. <laughs> um, but the books are really good. The books are like really legitimately like great children's literature. They're super propagandist and probably like very like racist and like America first and, mm-hmm. you know, manifest destiny. But um, for what they were at the time, like sweet little stories that like somehow got past my my parents, like weird nice. <laughs> censoring blocks. Yeah, yeah. All right, but the question <laughs> is actually really cool, and I want to do a thing where we open it up and make a like resource page out of it at the end. Yeah, I think this um, is good. So, as a worldly person who has some understanding and awareness of conservative Christian beliefs, social controls, <laughs> worldly, and norms. Worldly has uh, yeah, scare I did quotes. Air quotes. Sque- scare quotes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any suggestions for how I can be a better teacher to students from a background similar to what the two of you grew up with or a light version of it? 
This is like the best question. This is such a good question. We I've been wanting someone to ask this question for so long. We've we've talked about we've talked about like providing a toolkit, like a PDF toolkit for like three different audiences. One is like people who are trying to get themselves out. Like here's your mm-hmm. like crash course on on reality one hundred and one. Um, here's how to like get yourself out and like catch up on the things that you missed and like here's the conspiracy theories that you do never get told about and like here's the pop culture references you do need to know and like you yeah. know here's like the like the dark side of all the organizations that you grew up with loving um, yep. or grew up loving um, but there's also like another one that we've talked about doing which is like putting together like a something for like extended family members of people who are fundy and like professors who are working with people recently yeah. come out of people that. who who don't know much but want to help yeah i think this yeah. would be really good if yeah. somebody wants to give us money so we can like take a month off and do that that would be really great because like this would be a, a worthwhile project and i know a lot of people have tried to like start putting this together but like have just gotten Spins. super overwhelmed yeah it takes a lot of emotional labor to do stuff like that yeah and a lot of it's a lot of work uh, yeah, so I want to take a stab at this question with a story of what my teachers at Laney have done that have been really helpful. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I'm in this math class, which is mathematics for the trades. And um, the cool thing about it is it's not like a traditional math class where there is a lecture and homework. It's self-paced and the book is designed to be self-paced and it's basically just a set time every week that we have with a tutor. And it's very similar to homeschooling, except that the tutor is nice and doesn't (laughs) get angry when I ask questions and she will never throw the book at me. And and the cool what thing that like, that's just I know revolutionary. <laughs> I know I know and I've I've been I've been in her class since I started at Laney because it's self paced and that's just like the pace that I've been at so far and so it's been like four semesters five mm-hmm. yeah five. What she did is I, I like explained because she she noticed that I was being really quiet and really hesitant about asking questions when I first started. And I was just like trying to get through this myself and, and just being very shy. What she did was she like noticed that and she made an effort like she made a point to tell me that one, it was OK to ask questions. And and uh, like I, I told her a little bit about my background and about being homeschooled and and how I like just realized that I probably have ADHD and there's sort of a lot going on and so she got educated Mm -hmm. like she she got the book educated and she educated herself about things and she was like oh my god I understand so much more Mm -hmm. about where you're coming from and this whole time that she's been my tutor she's just been very observant and has figured out like that I respond much better if she asks me if I need help instead mm. of expecting me to come to her. Oh and my we God, have, right? Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. So, so that, is, that is what is key. Ask if they need help. Don't expect them to come to you because they are shy. And the more that you ask them if they want help, the more they'll feel open to coming to you for help. Right. So like now if I have a question, I feel a lot better about it because she spent the last three semesters like 
if I if she notices that I'm struggling with something, being like, "Hey, Kieran, do you need help with anything?" Yeah. And I can even just like sometimes I don't even need help. I just need to like process verbally the problem that I'm working on with her and she will just be there and listen to that and so like asking your students if they need help and and like not getting frustrated with them and encouraging them and telling them that like it's okay to take as long as you need to Mm -hmm. and she's also my most supportive teacher around like my mental health and so I feel okay being like I can't come in today because I don't have a brain. And she's like, that's fine. Take care of yourself. So it's really just comes down to like listening for me and asking if you can help. Yeah, that's big. I would like to name drop some professors too because I – and a former employer. So I I worked at – let's do this one first. I worked at Barnes & Noble in um, Santa Monica on the promenade before I closed – um, for a little over a year. And I had this this boss who has now become a friend who realized very quickly that like being called in to have a conversation, a private conversation, was a massive trigger for me, for my anxiety. And so he would like call me and he'd be like, hey, come to my office. Um, I need to talk to you about something. Don't worry. It's fine. Like it's good. Or like yes, nothing to worry about. See you soon. Like So like mm-hmm. he would preempt – my anxiety by letting me know like an idea You're of not what in was trouble. Yeah. An idea of what was happening. So like so that like diffused a lot of my authority issues because like I can't like I've worked with therapists, I've worked with professors, I've worked with bosses. And in all these situations, they are functionally authority figures. And mm-hmm. so I have a, like a whole host of like dad related, mom related, God related triggers that like come with me into all of those situations that have to be diffused before I can be proactive and engaged and like not dissociated in those situations. So, um, to have someone like be like, Hey, I want to talk to you about like this thing, like meet me here, giving me a topic so that my imagination has less to work with when I go like into like anxiety, imaginary mode. My, my, my imagination is very, very good. I can imagine a million different situations. Um, and that's not helpful for me. <laughs> so no. uh, having that really helps to like put a lid on it. Um, another thing is like um, like you were saying about being called in uh, or not being called in, but like ask, being asked if you need help. Um, I have a professor who, who requires um, student conferences rather than saying, here are my office hours, come whenever. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of my professors here at Holland's, Karen Bender. And I had this, I'm going to, I had this class at Grove City um, in undergrad. It was like my first undergrad class, 8 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it was symbolic logic. And it was so fun, like really weird and intense and math and like hard, really hard, but also super interesting. And I was struggling so hard. I got such a bad grade in that class. I think I got a D minus. I didn't, like I just barely failed, mm-hmm. didn't fail it. Um, so maybe it was just a D, but like, I only just barely didn't fail that class because I didn't ever go to office hours. He had tutoring sessions. He had office hours. He had regular times available for students to come in and talk to him. And I never did because I was fucking terrified. Yep. And so if he had been like my, my professor at Holland's, Karen, who, um, Karen Bender, who's this amazing short story writer. It, she requires us to meet with her twice a semester. 
if you're in her classes. So you have required mandatory time to come in and talk. That makes sense. And so if he had done that, if he had, like, made time when been like, hey, everybody in this class has to have a student conference, um, to, and we're going to, like, work through some pra- you know problems that you're having problems with, like, some example, mm-hmm. like, questions that you're having difficulty with, it could have been... I could have passed that class. Like, I could have, like, yeah. actually, like, gotten to the place where I would have understood that, like, office hours are not scary and he's not an authority figure who's out to get me. Yeah. Um, yes. So another another situation I had um, was a, a class I actually dropped at Holland's, but um, one of the education professors was teaching it and I, I was interested in taking it. So I, I went to a couple of classes and then it didn't work out for me to finish it. But she also had read it educated. And she also was aware of the context from that. And so mm-hmm. I didn't have to explain where I was coming from with her when I needed to drop the class because of trauma-related issues. Yep. So th- that was really helpful. And then um, another professor at Grove who did who was good was um, Colin Messer, who's now the head of the English department. And he did this great thing where – he was the advisor for the literary magazine and he saw me being like super engaged in class and he pulled me aside and was like, I want you to be working on this lit scene. Nice. Which is like, I would not have ever volunteered for that. I would never have put myself out to do that. I would never have thought like, Oh, I'm qualified to do this. I should do this. This is why I didn't write for the school newspaper when I was there. When this is why I didn't get involved in a lot of various like activities. Like I my roommate was like, you know, and economics and Spanish major and she was like doing all this cool stuff like she was like running in like entrepreneurial competitions and like debate team and all this stuff and I didn't ever put myself forward for any of those things she was on orientation board she was on student government and I didn't do any of that stuff because I didn't ever it never occurred to me that I could Mm-hmm. And so, again, this is where my imagination fails me. I, my imagination is very, very big for for things going wrong, but my imagination is sucks for things going right. And Same. so, I cannot, I cannot imagine. And this is one of the things I'm struggling with after, with um, graduating right now. Is like I'm, I'm really struggling on um, with picturing the future mm. because I. I don't know how to imagine things going right. I don't know how yeah. to have, like, to, like, put a vision behind hope. Because I didn't expect I to make that. it here this far in this particular set of circumstances. So, like, right. I really have no plan. Um, so I'm working on that. But along with that, tap into your students and show them what's possible. They may not realize realize that they can do things. Tell them what they can do. So yeah. Go up to your student who's, like, not super involved but, like, really, really smart or, like, really asks good questions or, like, seems, like, kind of scatterbrained but, like, really interested and, like, Mm -hmm. give them concrete ideas about what's possible for them. Show them, hey, you would be a great editor for this magazine, like Professor Messer did for me. That was so huge. I would never have thought that I could be an editor if he had not done that. That's big. That makes a difference. Um, do those kinds of things for your students. Show them. Yeah. Show them. Tell them who they are, because they may not know, and they may have like a bad idea of who they are. Sometimes they just need, and that's something actually that I was talking with my teacher Kathy about. Who was like, 
Sometimes you just need someone who believes in you and who sees you being good yeah. at the thing that you're scared of, like with math, yeah. where I was like, I, you know, I don't know if I'm good at this. It's a lot. And it, you know, it was algebra through trig and I haven't gotten to trig yet. Uh, <laughs> well, I've done some, but over the last, like, you know, almost two years that we've been working together, she's like, you have come so far and made so much progress and like so much of that is because like she was there to kind of cheerlead me through yeah and 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 not doubt me and be the one who's like no like she never when i when i explain something weirdly or wrong or whatever she's never like no that's not how you do it she's always like you could do it that way or you could do it this easier way. I'm like, ah. I, you know, the easiest way for anyone to get me to cry is when I'm, like, stressed about something and, like, feeling overwhelmed is to tell me that they see me working hard. Yes, same. we don't get compliment. We didn't get compliments. We didn't get recognized for our effort. And so we always – and I, I think I've, it's fair for me to speak for both of us here. But I, we, yep. we feel very, very strongly that, like – we're not doing enough. We always, are not good enough. We need to work harder. We need to work better. We're not. And and it, and it really, it causes us to be more disintegrated because we are not, um, we'll be neglecting ourselves and yep. we'll be neglecting like basic needs like food or sleep. Food or sleep. Yep. Because we are <laughs> so convinced that we're not working hard enough because things haven't come together for us yet. It's not yep. easy yet, so we can't relax, which yeah. is, you know, part of it's just like being a millennial in late stage capitalism in America right now. But right. a lot of it also comes from like how work um, was seen in our family and our culture, yeah. like with. Well, uh, like whatever <laughs> we were doing was never enough. Right. And we were sinners. So, yep, obviously. So, yeah. Tell your students what they're doing well. Compliment yeah. them. Tell them that you see that they're they're working hard. Tell them that you think that they're good. Um, I had a professor recently tell me that I was a model student and I just like was flabbergasted. <laughs> I had nothing to say. I was just like, wait, what? Me? What? Who, who are you talking to? So those kinds of things can go a really long way. Yeah. So what I want to do, um, if you're listening and you also have similar backgrounds and have ideas on what or experiences of what teachers have done that have really helped you kind of overcome the issues that you were facing, uh, email us at kitchentablecult at gmail.com or go to our website and email us through there. Uh, and let us know because I want to put together a resource page that has sort of a fact of like, here are some easy things you can do. Yeah. Go read this book. Do this thing. And if you if you have the spoons to also add, um, and you want to like be open about this, if you want to add comments about what things therapists have done for you that have been helpful, yes. Um, along these lines, like ways that diffuse like that that sense of like my therapist is my authority figure, um, and I should be scared of them, or I need to like do homework or whatever, um. Let us know, because that those are those are things that I think we all struggle struggle with in some degree or another. Yep. Anything else, Karen? I think that covers it. I think that does. Yeah. Wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was an eventful podcast that only we know about. Yeah, and we've already <laughs> like like, oh god, this is gonna be so long. <laughs> 
We're already past our normal length, and we've got another like 30 minutes to add to it. Cool. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so, hey, y'all, here's the deal. Making the show takes time and energy, and we really appreciate those of you who are supporting us, and we would really appreciate um, our other listeners to join them and support us. There are several ways you can do that, and most of them are free. First, you can take a minute or two to rate us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever infinite series of podcast listening software platformy things there are. <laughs> uh, and second, you can share a link with your friends, family, the void of the internet to let people know that you're listening and that you like the show. Yeah. Um, if you're able, please head over to our Patreon, um, which is patreon.com forward slash kitchen table cult pod and join our network of supporters. Um, come be a patron. Um, when you support the show on Patreon, you can also get early access to episodes as well as other special perks. Um, we'll do some like after dark episodes. Um, we'll sometimes like live stream ourselves recording these episodes and you can join in and um, watch the magic happen in real time. It's very exciting. It's so fun. Usually we're stoned or drunk or both. It's great. Both. We get funnier that way, promise. It's it's just better. <laughs> For all included. Um, we t- one time did a drinking game about Veggie Tales. Yeah, so that good. was good. So join our Patreon. Join our Patreon. It's, it's fun. Um, the music on this episode comes from the band The Heavens um, from their album Stenazzo. And if you want to ask us a question, support the podcast, find out more about us in general... Uh, you can do that at our website, kitchentablecult.com. Thanks so much for supporting us as we destroy the fucking patriarchy. Bye. Bye. Bye.